Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. This is MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television series of all time. And this month, we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the greatest television show of all time. And one of the stars of that television show joins me here every episode. Mr. Jeff Maxwell, how are you, sir? Oh, I can't wait to meet him. He's here, actually here, really? He's here, in the flesh. This is going to be fun. All right, I'll just sit quietly in the corner until he comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Please address him as Mr. Maxwell and do not make eye contact. And I won't look at his butt. (laughs) I know he doesn't like that. How you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. This is exciting. The 50th anniversary. Yes. What an amazing achievement. People today are still as passionate about the show as they were when it premiered on September 17th, 1972 on CBS. If they weren't still passionate about this podcast, we wouldn't have made it 90 episodes talking about <laughs> this show that everybody's passionate <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> you know, people have been asking us, how are you celebrating the 50th? Well, we're doing a couple of things, actually, and we really didn't have a chance to talk about this on the last recording. On the 17th of September, 2022, Jeff and I are going to be at the ranch. We're going to be at Malibu Creek State Park for a 50th anniversary celebration. Well, there are a limited number of tickets available for a specific event at the event, Mm -hmm. which includes a little breakfast and uh, pictures with you and me and uh, some certificates and a cupcake Mm -hmm. or something. Dancing monkeys. Dancing monkeys. Plate spinners coming. I mean, it's a big, I think Charo is going to be there. It's going to be be there. No, (laughs) let me point out clearly, Charo will not be making an appearance. Uh, that we know of. I mean, she could show up. Who knows? She might. If she listens to the podcast. She may be there. You never know. Charles, if you're listening, come on. You are invited. Coochie, coochie, baby. All right. <laughs> By the time we drop that, we're dropping this on uh, September 15th. So the event is two days away. By the time uh, you're listening to this, those tickets may be sold out. So you yeah. can go and click on the link. If not, we're still going to be there. Uh, so the, the breakfast starts at 930 and goes to around 11. Then from 11 to 1, Jeff and I are just going to be out there at the Malibu Creek State Park at the MASH site. So if you want to come and see us, if you're listening to this after September 17th, man, you missed a great day. It was such a yeah, great party. Great you should have been there. It was fantastic. And if you want to come and not see us, you don't have to look at us. We'll just, you just turn around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or you could come out any other day of the year to the MASH site and not see us. <laughs> That's right. I, I, you know, I highly recommend anybody who can make it out to that ranch, you do it because it's really kind of fun. And anybody who is a real MASH fan, once you get on that site and you start looking around and there are references to the various uh, tents and so forth, the, the, uh, the, they, they have a setup and signs and so, so forth. So you kind of know where you are. But once you get out there and you kind of look around, do a 360, you go, oh, wow, this is where it really happened. So mm-hmm. I recommend doing it. It's a little walk in. I think it's a, just a little under two miles. Mm-hmm. Um, take some water because it can be pretty hot out there and dusty. But it's a really fun experience. So I highly recommend it to anybody, even if you can't make it out of the 17th. Get out there anytime. And the, hey, it's the 50th anniversary of MASH for 365 days. That's right. So 
you know, any time during the year, go out there and enjoy it. Jeff, you bring up a good point. The anniversary is not just limited to one day. It's it's a year-long anniversary. So you never know. Jeff and I might show up somewhere else unexpectedly. Or, well, I guess we should probably, you know, uh, plan some of these events if we're going to show up. Because yeah, probably. Uh, if there's one thing we learned from this event is people like more advanced notice. And uh, we apologize for not <laughs> giving you more advanced notice. Uh, all the details kind of came together at the last minute for this one. So if you hear scratching and knocking and whining at your front door around 1130 at night, sometime. Check it out. It might be Jeff and Ryan. (laughs) It might be us. You never know. The other thing we wanted to let you know before we get to the bulk of this episode, Jeff and I were honored to uh, be invited to participate in a TV special uh, celebrating the 50th anniversary of MASH. This special is going to air on the Reels channel starting on September 13th. So it's uh, actually, it's already started. (laughs) By the time you listen to this, it's already (laughs) started. But (laughs) Reels will rerun their shows a lot. So I I would guess that if you went to the Reels channel and searched for the show, MASH, when television changed forever, you will be able to find it. And it's a great little special. It's got Jeff and myself. Mike Farrell's on there. Jamie Farr is on there. The late Burt Metcalf is on there. A lot of other friends of the podcast are a part of this special. And uh, you can see us in vivid 4K HD. I can't wait to see it. And I I know my wife actually got a sneak preview. And uh, she said it was very, very good, but my hair was too long. So I apologize to everyone who (laughs) sees my long hair. You were a little shaggy. I was shaggy. It's all right. People are going to be distracted by my sunburned forehead too much to notice (laughs) your shaggy hair. We are professionals, aren't we? (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) So here we go. We're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of MASH on this episode with a special top 50 countdown of your favorite MASH episodes. I say your favorite because we put out a poll on our social media. So on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, we put it out there for our listeners to vote on their top five MASH episodes. And we had uh, over a thousand people respond to this poll. We took the results of that poll and we looked at the top 50 episodes as voted by you. And uh, we're going to count them down here on this episode from 50 to number one. I don't know about you, Jeff, but when I was looking at this list of the top 50, some of them I was not surprised at all. But there are some that snuck in that really did surprise me and a few that we'll talk about later that did not make it into the top 50 that really, really surprised me. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, you've seen the list. I, I know that you're not necessarily because you work there. You're not as familiar with the episodes by their titles. But do you have any uh, general thoughts about the top 50? I think uh, they're all uh, really uh, interesting and uh, engaging episodes of MASH. That's, wow, that's uh, that's pretty much what I know. Wow, that's uh, that's some real insight you got there, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for that. I could go into more depth, but you know what difference does it make what I think anyway? <laughs> well, and we don't have time for a lot of depth in this episode. No, uh, it's going to be more quantity over quality. Yes, but let me just say before, thanks to everybody who took the poll. There was so much feedback. People were kind of a little miffed that we only asked for their top five. Uh, It turned out to be a much more challenging experience for most people than I anticipated. Originally, I was just going to say, hey, what's your favorite episode? And just have you pick one. I probably should have said top 10. 
but I made people select their top five from, you know, 251 episodes. That's uh, that's no easy task, but uh, we had a thousand people who did it. So thanks to those who actually took the poll. We appreciate it. Thousand people and they had five episodes each has 5,000 episodes yeah. that have to be uh, quantified. And we have uh, our judges have given us the final tally. And we are now going to reveal the top 50 MASH episodes as voted by you. And we're starting with number 50, an episode that I was frankly surprised did not land a little closer to the top spot. Number 50, The Nurses from season five. Now, this episode features several guest stars, including Gregory Harrison. Not only did he appear on MASH, but then he went on to play Dr. Gonzo Gates on a little show called Trapper John MD. I guess you could say that's a spinoff of MASH. It wasn't necessarily a direct spinoff because Wayne Rogers did not return in that role, but it was obviously inspired by the character and there were references to MASH and some references to Korea. Uh, Who played, I forget who played Trapper John. Uh, Pernell Roberts. Pernell Roberts, that's right. Right, right, yeah. Right. Who yeah. was on, uh, was it Bonanza? Bonanza. Yeah. The nurses from season five coming in at number 50, featuring one of Margaret's greatest moments. All right. If I had asked your permission last night, what would you have done? I would have said no. See? Not because it's against regulations, but because of the rotten way you've treated me. The way we've treated you? What are you talking about? Did you ever show me any kind of friendship? Ask my help with a personal problem? Include me in one of your little bull sessions? Can you imagine what it feels like to to walk by this tent and hear you laughing and and know I'm not welcome? Did you ever once ever offer me a lousy cup of coffee? We didn't think you'd accept. Well, you were wrong. And number 49 from season six, The Smell of Music. From the fashionable swamp room, high above Midtown Weijongbu, come the sadistic sounds of Doc Winchester and his old moose orchestra. Quest the musical question, why us? While Winchester was a terrible French horn player, David Ogden Stiers actually was an expert horn player, which is an mm-hmm. interesting little tidbit. And how hard is it for an expert horn player to, as a character, play that horn very, very bad? Yeah, I think you have That's to be- a an, challenge. It is. And I think you have to be an expert in order to do that. And I'm kind of serious about that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you're playing a musical instrument. You really have to be a, a pretty expert player in order to make it sound bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think he, he was so good, he could, he could sound terrible. And he did. And he did. (laughs) The Smell of Music, number 49. Then, coming in at number 48, you voted for Rainbow Bridge from season three. This featured Loudon Wainwright III's first appearance as Captain Spaulding. He had no lines in the episode. He just had songs. They got some sake and sashimi and some clean sheets. Oh, come on, no. Uh, Another special guest star in this episode, Mako, who was a tremendous actor, had a uh, prolific career, and this is one of four episodes guest starring Mako. I'm Dr. Ling Tan. 
Army of the People's Republic. I'm, I'm Dr. Pierce. Uh, Dr. Burns? Dr. McIntyre. Uh, we're, we're, we're doctors, too. All three of us. We, three. Hi. Here's a list of your wounded. All require more medical attention than we can provide. You speak very good English, doctor. University of Illinois. No kidding. Our commanding officer went to Illinois. There was no need for us to get friendly here. I actually was, when it first aired, when I first saw that episode, I wasn't a huge fan of the Loudon Wainwright III addition to the show. I really wasn't. It kind of... It kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but yeah, that's just me. I think that your opinion is shared by several people. It was different. Mm-hmm. And because of his, I believe, his his music career and his touring schedule and all that, that's why he did not continue on the series as Captain Spaulding. He only had a few appearances on the show. Usually at some point he was uh, singing or playing guitar in, in those appearances because he, that's what he is. He's a singer-songwriter. Yeah. He's still doing yeah. that. Uh, he's still out there touring and still recording and, and releasing music right now. But- here we have his first appearance, and I believe he was only on one or two more episodes yeah. in that season. And then uh, we never saw Captain Spaulding again. And my opinion has nothing to do with his ability and talent. He's a very talented guy, and I, I enjoyed what he did. Yeah. I just didn't think it fit for some reason. It was just like all of a sudden, and here's a guy coming in to sing. I just <laughs> something, something bothered me about that. But anyway, and number 47, season one. I hate a mystery. Because I took the precaution of treating the stolen articles with hydrochloric alpha-tericin. What's hydrochloric alpha-tericin? A chemical which is at this moment coloring the culprit's fingernails blue. Look, no blue. Yeah, I know, there couldn't be. I was bluffing. Yes, indeed, this was the first appearance of Radar's teddy bear. Yes, it was. That's a big step. Yeah. Big, big step. And there's a classic scene uh, for Henry in this episode when he gets a face full of soot. And he really, if you watch that scene and you look at him specifically throughout that scene, he looks like he is fighting through real pain and discomfort. <laughs> the soot, no doubt, got in his eyes. And you can tell that it got in his eyes. He is he is hurting <laughs> in that scene. But a true uh, a true testament to McLean Stevenson and uh, his acting ability. He powered through it and didn't let that stop him. No. All right, coming in at number forty six of the top fifty mash episodes as voted by you. This one comes from season eight, Mister and Mrs. Who. Do you, Chuck Emerson Winchester III, <laughs> take this lovely, if gullible, young woman as your unlawful, unwedded unwife? I undo. <laughs> and do you, Donna Marie Parker Winchester III, take this pickled amnesiac as your unlawful, unwedded unhubby? I undo too. Then, by the power invested in me, by the state of intoxication, <laughs> I hereby pronounce you man and woman. Ah. You may now ignore the bride. Now, I will say, Jeff, this is an episode that I was a little surprised cracked the top 50. It, not that it's a bad episode, but when we get to some of the episodes that did not make it into this top 50, I don't necessarily always expect Mr. and Mrs. Who to be a fan favorite episode. This is uh, the episode where Charles gets drunk on leave and supposedly gets married to the supposed Mrs. Chuck Emerson Winchester III, as played by guest star Claudette Nevins. She actually passed away just a couple of years ago in 2020. It's a great episode. It did crack the top 50 as voted by you. So that's number 46, Mr. and Mrs. Who. Very interesting. And coming in at 45, Big Mac from season three. 
This is uh, sort of interesting because my comedy partner, Bill Garrett, was actually part of the one of the scenes there. And that was really fun for he and I to be uh, in the same show. That was pretty cool. That was the group shot where they're taking the photo. If you look closely, you'll see blonde hair. You'll see standing right next to Jeff. That is Bill Garrett of Garrett and Maxwell. Fun out there. Fun out. We had a good time. That was great. Big Mac uh, is another episode I thought might land a little closer to the top in this poll. And uh, if you're new to the podcast, first of all, welcome. And if you've ever thought, hey, who played General MacArthur? Go back to episode 79 because we actually confirmed in episode 79 that General MacArthur was played by actor Robert Courtley. We could do an operation for him. Pierce. Don't be a simp. We operate every day. Perhaps the general would like to observe our surgeons at work. Yeah, with a stitch-by-stitch commentary. (laughs) For a big finish, a post-op infection. (laughs) Has possibilities, Colonel. Well, that's just what I was thinking. I mean, it'd be a real eye popper. (laughs) Colonel? Yes? Um, As adjutant and assistant chief surgeon, I'd like to volunteer for that operation. How splendid, Major. Very good, Frank. Lovely. And it's agreed. We'll do a hysterectomy on Major Burns. Coming in at number 44 on the top 50 is Dear Sis from season seven. This is one of the Christmas episodes of MASH. Uh, we see the debut of uh, Charles's childhood toboggan cap. Brada, that's my old toboggan cap. Yes, sir. I knew you were unhappy here, so I wrote your mother and asked her to send something that would make you feel more at home here. Brada. You? I don't know what to say. Which he wears again in several episodes, including Dreams, which may or may not show up on this list. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. I love this episode for many reasons, but one of my favorite parts of the episode comes at the very end. We've talked about this, I believe, before on the podcast with the cast singing Dona Nobis Pachem. And coming in at number 43, Officer of the Day, season three. And uh, this is Jeff Maxwell's first credited appearance. Uh, he's identified as Igor in the credits, but not in the episode. He is? That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, also marks the first appearance of uh, Edward Winter as Colonel Flagg uh, on the top 50. That's really cool. Where the hell is everybody? Hit it again, Sergeant. Knock it off, will you? Wake up the war. Well, look who's here. Colonel Flagg, our friendly undercover over-anxious intelligence man. Do I know you? And don't try to deny it. Of course you know me. Olivia de Havilland. Edward Winter was one of the coolest guys around, and boy, was he funny. Everybody would love to stand around and watch him do the scene, so that was very fun. He was a terrific guy. And this is not the last time you will hear Colonel Flagg's name on this top 50. I'll just tell you that right now. No. We also get our first mention in the top 50 of Richard Lee Sung, who played one of the many Kim Lux in this episode. Kim Luck? That's the second one we had today. That's the way it runs sometimes, sir. Can you identify yourself? 
This is me. Coming in at number 42, the penultimate episode of the series from season 11, As Time Goes By. Hold it right there. You guys are not going to do this. You slime bags can't bury that thing here. We wouldn't dream of it, Margaret. No, no. no. We're going to bury this in a much more fitting place. Mm-hmm. How about right over there? No, it's no. not. Will you just get out of here? Okay, but before we go, I got something in here that's a little more appropriate for your time, Captain. Yeah, like what? Your dirty socks or your dirty magazine? Just a broken fan belt. From the chopper. Nobody noticed that pilot when he was here, but it would be nice if people remembered him a hundred years from now. It's very appropriate. Thank you. This was the final 30-minute episode to air, and it was also the final episode that was filmed. You may or may not know that the finale, which was the two-and-a-half-hour film, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, which we may or may not see on this list. Stay tuned was actually filmed prior to filming the final season because there was so much involved with that, so much editing that had to be done. And so as time goes by was actually the final episode that was filmed. We see in this episode, guest star Rosalind Chow as uh, Soon Lee. This is her first appearance. She would go on to obviously play a big role in the finale and also would go on to be a regular series star in Aftermash. We've also discussed on the podcast uh, that the time capsule that was featured in this was real and it was really buried by the cast on the Fox property, thinking that it would be there forever. But then just a few months later, (laughs) it was dug up by a construction crew and there was an attempt to return it to Alan Alda, but he declined and he told the construction worker to just keep it. We still to this day do not know where that time capsule ended up. It's, its whereabouts are unknown. I actually met a gentleman who was part of that crew that dug it up and found it. Yeah. And I asked him, well, what really happened? So where is the thing? So tell me. And he said, yeah, I will. Okay, wait a minute. Oh, oh wait a minute. I got to go. I got to get a phone call. And he ran away. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another deep dark mass secret that <laughs> ran away to get well, a phone maybe call. Maybe he's still on that phone call and he'll be back. You yeah. Know? Maybe I mean, he'll could... come back. I'm, exactly. I'm waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know. This is a great episode and I love the business with you and Rizzo and the dummy hand grenade. <laughs> and just on a personal uh, note, you gifted me, uh, you've gifted me with several things uh, over the years, Jeff, but one of my prized possessions now is you uh, gave me a call sheet from this final day of shooting. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. That's that's a fun. Uh, that's actually a fun memento to have. And yeah. so I'd like it back in about six months, just if you don't mind. I, oh, yeah. I thought I. No, I, no. I was. It was just. Oh, you're a, just I'm just renting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll get that right to you. I'll put. I'll put that in the mail. <laughs> okay. Sure. Absolutely. And coming in at number forty-one, season ten is where there's a will, there's a war. Where's this stupid sofa? It's in the living room. What? The sofa's in the living room between the end tables. Margaret, you made a joke. I told you I was tired. The sofa's in the living room? I can't believe you said that. <laughs> so, okay, sofa, here, here, we, we got plenty. Sofa, so good. <laughs> Morphine. No, thanks. I've got plenty. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, I love it. I 
I love it. Somebody's been playing with your silly hormones. <laughs> oh, come on, come on. We've got to get this All done. Right. Okay, okay. Did, did you tell us? No, I'm keeping it a secret. <laughs> Nitrous. Good nitrous, sweet prince. Excuse me. I have to replace the OR supplies before uh -oh. morning. Well, what are you waiting for? Go to it. Okay, Captain. How's the nitrous holding out? Moving on to number 40 from season four, Change of Command. This, uh, this episode is uh, notable for two reasons. One, it's the debut of. Colonel Sherman Tecumseh Potter. On your feet, soldier. I'm Colonel Potter. Oh, my. Sir, sir, I had no idea you were who you are, Colonel Potter, sir. Get my gear, son. Yes, sir. Your permission to cover up my nakedity? Right. Honestly, he made his actual debut in the previous episode. They tease his appearance there at the very end. But this is the first full episode for Colonel Sherman Potter, Change of Command. And it's also the infamous episode where Major Burns refers to Igor as Sergeant. No, 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 Sergeant. From now on, you will not simply slop food onto these trays. Look at this random arrangement, Major. I'm looking. The kidney beans have slopped over from the kidney bean compartment into the applesauce compartment. The dehydrated potatoes are in every compartment. It's no wonder I never have an appetite. Sergeant, I want standardization of compartment usage. When I look down a table at a row of trays, I want to see beans, 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 beans. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. Applesauce, applesauce, applesauce. You got that? Yes. Yes, what? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, what? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full? I got a promotion. Yeah, congrats. And then I got a demotion. It was short-lived. Short-lived promotion. <laughs> My God. Yeah. That sounds like a good title. Short-lived promotion. Anyway. <laughs> Coming in at number 39, Fade Out, Fade In, and Season 6. Actually, an hour-long episode split into two parts for syndication, of course. This was uh, also the first episode without Frank Burns. Although for some reason, Larry Linville's name is still in the credits. Not sure about that. Somebody goofed. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. And it's also the debut of Charles Emerson Winchester III. Oh, yeah. That's Potter's outfit. What did they want? How long do they need him? No, it's impossible. <laughs> Colonel, made a small error. You owe me $672.17. <laughs> it's possible. We also see Rick Hurst guest starring as Schaefer, who is the lawyer, offering to help Klinger get a Section 8. Schaefer here has been bucking for a Section 8 longer than you have. A loony? Busted twice? Done four months in the slammer? Has impersonated a doctor, a bombardier, a tank commander, even a chaplain? A chaplain. At this very moment, somewhere in America... 25 couples are living in sin. And of course, the infamous scene with Johnny Hamer dubbing the lines for Private Igor that we're not going to make you relive this, Jeff. We discussed this at length in uh, our infamous episode 28 of MASH Matters. So if you want more information about that, go back and listen to episode 28 so we don't have to put Jeff through the trauma of telling that story once again. Thank you. I have my medication ready, but thank you. <laughs> I don't have to use it. Thank you so much. Coming in at number 38, this is from season one. Chief Surgeon Who? But what I obviously have to do is appoint a chief surgeon. Now you're talking. 
He'll be in charge of all surgical situations. In addition to his own work, he'll assist each shift to help out with the really tough cases. The job will be a killer. I can adjust. I hope you can. I'm giving it to Pierce. Mm. Thanks. What? You can't. I won't stand for it. Frank, the one thing that'll get you nowhere with me is impersonating my wife. Larry Gelbart won a Writers Guild Award for this episode, and it features the debut of one Mr. Jamie Farr as Klinger. Halt! (laughs) Friend or foe? I'm General Barker. How do I know you're not one of them with a clever makeup job? (laughs) Corporal Klinger, isn't it? Right. Still trying to get out on a psycho, eh, Claire? <laughs> well, I can tell you. Looks like a lot more than this. Then I'll just have to keep trying, Mary. It's also the first of two appearances of Sorrel Book as General Barker. He also guest starred in Requiem for a Lightweight. And uh, he went on to star, most notably, as Boss Hogg on The Dukes of Hazard. And he shares the first ever scene with Jamie Farr as Klinger. Uh, The story that Jamie Farr told on this podcast is that Klinger was hired basically for one day of work and it turned into 11 seasons of work. There's also the story of the original director telling Jamie to play Klinger in a more effeminate nature and Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds seeing the dailies and then saying, no, 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 let's reshoot that. Just play it straight. And that's what he did. And of course, the rest is history. It was a good day for Jamie. Very good day. Yeah. And coming in at number 37, a smattering of intelligence. Season two, Colonel Flagg is back. Colonel, I'm going to have to trust you. Well, believe me, you can, Colonel Flagg. Major Brooks, Lieutenant Carter, Ensign Troy, Captain Louise Klein. I'm CIA. CIA? Wow! That damn chopper crash may have ruined a very sensitive mission. Colonel Flagg was never here. Tell your people. You can fill out a file on me using any one of these. Right. Uh, Just let me get your names down. Don't write. Memorize. One. And don't use Louise. I'll need that next week in Tokyo. Right. Moving on in the countdown... Number 36, The Long John Flap. This is from season one, and it was uh, also notable as being the first episode that was written by Alan Alda. Margaret, you know how I hate the cold. (laughs) You know how my fingers bleed when the slightest winter breezes start. I can't pick up the smallest little thing without pain. Yes, yes. May I give you a pair of heavy winter civilian underwear? You mean if you ever get a pair? These. You've let me sit here and freeze to death with socks on my hands while you've been parading around in those? You tell your fingers to start bleeding, Frank, and get out. How can you give me that underwear? And coming in at 35, Old Soldiers from Season 8. Very dramatic episode featuring Colonel Potter's tontine speech, uh, one of Harry Morgan's greatest mash moments. Here's to you, boys. To Ryan, who died in WW1, the war to end all wars. To Gianelli, who died in the war after that. To Stein, the joker of the crowd. And to Grusky, my best friend, who just passed away in Tokyo. You were the friends of my youth. My comrades through thick and thin, and everything in between. I drink to your memories. 
I loved you, Thomas. One and all. Yeah, and I'm a little surprised that this one didn't land a little higher in the mm-hmm. uh, in the countdown. Uh, number 35, I mean, it's great. It made the top 50. Many episodes didn't even crack the top 50. But for me, just the speech alone by Harry Morgan, I would think at least gets it in the top 20. But uh, everybody else voted a little bit differently. So Old Soldiers coming in at number 35. Then we see number 34, the Winchester tapes. Uh, Another episode, while, you know, I love Winchester, uh, another episode that I was a little surprised ranked this highly in this poll. Uh, This is from season six. Finally, a peaceful moment to conclude this tape. The would-be Lothario Pierce is sound asleep. And the 38-hour day is done. Now, Mother and Dad, I will put this as eloquently and succinctly as possible. Get me the hell out of here! This is the only mention of the 4077's Cockroach Collection. Takes an hour, but it's well worth the time. And it also features my personal favorite of Potter's paintings. The Angry Winchester. (laughs) That is the Winchester tapes coming in at number 34. All right. Coming in at number 33, the big controversial episode written and directed by Alan Alda called Dreams. Now then, Dr. Pierce, how do you reattach a limb? I'm sorry. I was was sleeping. Did we cover that? Your left arm, please. Twist it. May I have it? This young man wants his arm back. Do you know the procedure? I was sleeping. I don't know. Yes, sir. Season 8, arguably the most polarizing of all mashed episodes, uh, featured the debut of Catherine Bergstrom as Peg Honeycutt. Also features guest star Rick Wan, the bad guy of the whole episode. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we talked about dreams uh, in the episode 86, interpreting dreams along with Catherine and Rick and one Mr. Mike Farrell. So you can go back and re-listen to that. I was curious when we started this poll, I was curious to see if dreams would indeed crack the top 50 because the people who love this episode really love it and they gave it some love in this poll. I really did not know if it would make the top 50. And here it is at number 33. Mm -hmm. Number 32 is the episode that started it all on September 17th, 1972. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary this week of MASH the Pilot. From season one, the first ever episode of MASH, the only episode to feature George Morgan, as Father Mulcahy. Uh, he was, of course, then replaced by William Christopher. However, he can still be seen in every single episode of MASH because George Morgan is crouching next to Hawkeye in the opening credits. <laughs> when, they, when they're all crouched down and going to the chopper, that's George Morgan next to him in the credits. I did not know that. I've just learned something on MASH Matters. Wow, I did not know that. Huh. Yeah, how about that? Wow. 
Also, uh, George Morgan never says a single word throughout the entire episode. So <laughs> poor George Morgan, who's still with us. He's still he's still alive and kicking as of this recording. And he never got to say a word on MASH. Then he was replaced. Why? I don't know. And then we also meet an original general because uh, General Hammond, played by actor G. Wood, was reprising the same role from the motion picture. Do I understand that the priest of this outfit has just won a weekend with a nurse in Tokyo? It's a prayer come true. Maybe George Morgan just didn't want to talk very much. So they just said, <laughs> you know, George, I don't know, buddy. He just he's, Maybe he's just not a talker, you know? Yeah, he's people. more of a croucher. So yeah. they, that's why <laughs> Evidently. <he> <laughs> And in season 31, The Incubator and season two. Inhalator, indicator, inoculator, infusilator. Here it is. 437 stroke R2 incubator. Thar she blows. <laughs> Device for developing bacterial cultures at constant suitable temperatures. Uh-huh. I see. That certainly makes sense. <laughs> You can't have one. This is where actor Ted Gehring played Major Morris, the officer who refuses to let Hawkeye and Trapper take one of his incubators. These are still in their crates. And they're going to stay that way. I'm Major Morris. Captain Pierce. Megadar, 4077 Mag. said she wanted an incubator, no dice. Yeah, but you've got three. That's right. If I give one away, I'll only have two. What's wrong with two? Two is not as good as three. <laughs> but you're not even using them. Who says I have to? Well, what do you do when you want a culture? I send a smear to Tokyo. If I use one of these, then it breaks down, then I'd only have two. Larry Gelbart once wrote on Alt TV MASH, that discussion board that we all loved to participate in years ago, that the role was originally going to be played by Larry Gelbart, but he decided against it. So actor Vic Tabak was cast in the role, but then the scene was reshot with Ted Gehring in the role. I'm so confused now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, I, wow, I, mean, this is I had no idea Larry Gelbart was going to play that role. That, that kind of blows my mind. But then they thought, no, he decided not to do it. They cast Vic Tabak. Now, Vic Tabak, best known as playing Mel Sharples on the series Alice. That's Vic Tabak. He was cast in that role. They shot that scene. And apparently there was something that they didn't see that was right with that performance. So they then recast Ted Gehring in that role. And then Ted Gehring returns as a completely different character many seasons later in none like it hot who dubbed in whose voice for that one i don't know how did wow well vic tayback would then dub johnny hamer and johnny hamer yeah. then yeah. dubbed uh, ted Gehring, and i believe you played larry gelbart in that episode <laughs> <I did. laughs> you know larry was an actor he did do some acting so it's not unusual that he would have said, oh, why don't I do it? I wish he would have. Yeah, it would have been fun. If not that role, some role. I would love to have seen yes. it was Alfred Hitchcock who would make little cameos in his own movies. It would have been nice to see Larry Gelbart yes. pop up as a cameo at some point. Yep, it would have been. Okay, we are now to number 30 in the top 50 countdown of MASH episodes, and we are spending a night at Rosie's. This is season seven. Features the first appearances of two fan favorites. It's the first of three appearances of Scully, played by Josh Bryant, and also features the first appearance of Eileen Saki as Rosie. Whatever you got in a shot glass. I might as well open. Anything to smoke? Special today. Two bits. My treat. Thanks. It's got teeth marks on it. 
It's a demonstrator model. Of course, we see Eileen Saki uh, prior to this episode, and we may be talking about her again in this countdown. Stay tuned. <laughs> we talk about this and, and more about Rosie with Eileen. That was in episode 76 of MASH Matters. A delightful episode and a delightful person, uh, Eileen. She's just adorable. She yes. really is. Yes. And number 29, Sons and Bowlers from season 10. Uh, one of three guest appearances of Dick O'Neill uh, as three different characters. My glass is empty. How many of those you going to drink? How much money you got? Fill them up. Sons and Bowlers is another episode that ranked much, much higher than I thought it would. My opinion is that this episode cracked not only the top 50, but the top 30 because of one specific moment. It's one of Winchester's greatest, if not the greatest, Winchester moment. When I see the warmth, closeness, the fun of your relationship. I mean, my father's a good man. He always wanted the best for me. But where I have a father, you have a dad. Charles, you never told me anything like this before. Actually, okay, I've never told you anything before. Next up, number 28 on the Top 50 Countdown from Season 7, it's Cave. Look, son, I don't know what's gotten into you, but as your commander, I can't go in until you go in, so in you go. No, I don't think so, Colonel. I don't uh, breathe too well in there, you know what I mean? Claustrophobia? Ever since I was a kid. People used to think I kept my clothes in the pile because I was a slob. It's just that I couldn't step into a walk-in closet. Look, I know there's plenty of air in there and the walls aren't going to cave in, but that's what's going to happen, so let's just forget it. A little surprising how high it ranks because Cave is not necessarily an episode that I hear a lot of uh, fans talking about, but a lot of fans voted for it. Number 28. And here's a little interesting story I found about this particular episode. Did you know, Jeff, that this episode inspired a beloved children's book series? I did not know that. This is the second thing I've learned here on MASH Matters today. Wow. Author Paulette Bourgeau, I guess is how you pronounce her name. I, I apologize, Paulette, if you're listening. She was inspired to create a beloved character from watching this episode. At one point, Hawkeye says, Can you imagine me as a turtle? Afraid to get into my own shell? <laughs> now, this caused a light bulb to go off in Paulette's brain, and then she went on to write over 25 best-selling children's books starring a turtle named Franklin. Wow. So if you have ever read any of the Franklin books to your kids, that was inspired by this particular episode of MASH. Not to be confused with Yertle the Turtle. No. It's a different, no. <laughs> a different turtle, isn't it? And not to be confused with Turtles the Candy with chocolate and caramel and peanuts. Ooh, I like those very much. I'm not a caramel guy, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, it can get in your teeth and do weird things to you. Yeah, not, not yeah. a fan. Coming in, number 27, The Interview. This mm. was the season four finale. And interestingly enough, it was Larry Gelbart's last episode before leaving this series. I wish he had left, but he did. Uh, I remember standing there asking him, I said, Larry, why are you leaving? And he said, I'm just tired. Well, that's a pretty good reason. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he said, I'm just tired. He's, I, he wrote a lot of stuff. And mm -hmm. after four years, you go, yeah, okay. Also, interestingly enough, Loretta Swit doesn't appear in the episode. Hmm, where did she go? There was a stretch of episodes in season four with Margaret missing because Loretta was doing a play on Broadway. Well, that's where she went. This, however, is the final episode of the series that did not feature Margaret. So from this point on, she was in every episode. And happy to be there. Yeah. This was also the first of two episodes featuring Cleet Roberts as the interviewer. And the story goes that many of the characters' lines in this episode were inspired by the actors themselves. Larry had the cast make up their own answers to some of the questions that he wrote. And then he took their answers and he turned them into the dialogue that was spoken in this episode. It's also believed that some of the answers were just improvised right there on the spot. So don't know how much was improvised and how much was scripted, but a lot of this came from the actors answering as their characters, which I think is, is really cool. Colonel, you've uh, spoken of the father figure. Do you think that after the war you'll want to maintain a friendship or a connection with the, these young men and women after this is over? Absolutely. Do you I, think you will? I'm not sure about that, but... Uh... I hope I will, and I hope they will with me, because I'm, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> very, very close to, to some of these young men, and very honored to be associated with them. From what I understand and have, uh, have experienced is that the improvising was done pre-shooting, so that Larry took all of that improvising and then did write the script and then everybody was kind of locked into the script. Apparently there was no improvising during the shooting itself. It's also a testament to the acting too because the actors make it look like it's being improvised. That's what those actors get paid yeah, to do. Yeah, I know, That's right? why they're getting the big bucks. This was also the only episode filmed entirely in black and white. Now, black and white would be brought back for our finest hour when Cleet Roberts returns later, but that also featured old clips from prior episodes, and those were in color. So this is the only one filmed entirely in black and white, and they actually had to make an announcement so that people didn't think their TVs were screwing up on them. <laughs> and, and if you listen carefully, the voice at the very beginning of that interview saying, the following is filmed in black and white. That is executive producer Burt Metcalf. That's his voice. Coming in at number 26 is the season premiere from season 11. Hey, look me over. And I am not surprised that this made the top 50, almost made the top 25. Here it is at number 26 because this spotlights our beloved Kelly Nakahara. If you have not yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to our uh, interview that we we were so privileged to do with Kelly back in episode 14. It, this episode also features that great speech by Kelly. Sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. It's just that I, I never saw you, you know, in that way. You never saw me, period. And why? Just because I'm not five foot nine and slinky with long blonde hair and a perky little nose that would fit in a bottle cap. It's not that I don't think you're a terrific person. You haven't the faintest idea how terrific I am. For your information, I happen to have a fantastic sense of humor, a bubbly personality, and I am warm and sensitive like you wouldn't believe. I also sing and play the guitar, and I'm learning to tap dance. And on top of all that, I happen to be cute as hell. Man, she's missed. Wow. She is missed. She really is. And it's uh, it's remarkable and indeed that it is uh, number 26. And I think it's it's truly due to Kelly. Yeah. 
she was an adorable person and an adorable character and people really resonated with her and her spirit mm -hmm. and her humor and everything about her. So uh, very cool. I'm, I'm very happy to see that it came in at number 26. By the way, this is also the episode where Jeff Maxwell got to dance with Rita Wilson. Hi. If you're not busy later, I thought maybe you and I could drag our feet together. I'd love to, Captain, but she asked me first. Yeah, Kelly was great and all, but hey, remember when Jeff danced with Rita Wilson? Well, yeah, that's that's yeah. why this is 26, really. That's Come why, on. yeah. <laughs> and coming in at number 25, Private Charles Lamb. Attention all personnel. Please contact Colonel Blake if anyone knows the whereabouts of tonight's entree. In the meantime, be on the lookout for a white Caucasian lamb. He is reported to be unarmed and considered to be delicious. That is all. This is an episode that I was really surprised to see this far up on the poll. I, I have to preface by saying I like these episodes. I like almost every episode of MASH. Private Charles Lamb would not be in my top 50. But man, a lot of people love this episode. This is when Radar, to save a lamb that's brought in by the uh, Greek unit as a sign of appreciation, he sends the lamb home to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> He's on his way to Tokyo now. On Bo Peep Airlines. Well, a buddy of mine will reroute him to Iowa to my folks. I've already radioed him. They're expecting him. He could sleep in your room. Your pants will just fit him. I'll be losing my mind. Don't fight it, Henry. I've got command on my tail in a hospital full of Greeks waiting for a lamb who's sitting on a plane on his way to Iowa to become Radar's little brother. Number 24 is the season eight finale, and it's April Fool's. That is the episode that guest starred the late, great Pat Hingle as Colonel Daniel Webster Tucker. Get this, I'm going to shape this place up, and I can't think of a better way to start than barring all of you from medical service. Oh, oh, oh golly gee, boys and girls, are we in Dutch? The colonel is going to make us stand in a corner of Korea. And go to bed without supper. For which, colonel, I shall be eternally grateful. <laughs> yeah. You people think you're very funny, don't you? Well, I've had it with you screwballs. As of right now, you're all on report for gross insubordination, conduct, unbecoming officers, and anything else I can think of. I can't believe that. You better believe it, Major. If I have my way, you'll all be court-martialed. And since I'm the man who makes those decisions, I always get my way. Let me see you laugh that one off, gang. Spoiler alert, if you have not seen this episode, uh, and I probably should have said that at the beginning, you know, we're mentioning plot twists. So if you're just still in the middle of watching MASH for the first time, we might ruin some things for you here. But the twist at the end of this episode, I think, is what really makes this episode stand out in a lot of listeners and, and viewers' minds, because you find out at the end that he is not the gruff, mean colonel that he he turns out to be. It's, it's all an elaborate prank by Colonel Potter. And speaking of Potter, he has some great... Potterisms in this episode. <laughs> Holy hemister! You look like a furry Claudette Colbert. Get up from there. What in the name of Marco Blessed Polo is going on here? Good grief, Margaret. Where in the name of Carrie's corset is your tent? Pat Hingle, in case nobody knows it, is actually missing a finger. Really? I forget on which hand and which finger, but there was one missing finger. I did not know that. See? Now you've learned something here on Match Matter. Well, I read that he was seriously injured earlier in his career when he fell down an elevator shaft. Did you know about this? <laughs> I am not <laughs> kidding. 
Well, maybe that's where the finger is, is somewhere in the elevator shaft. Seriously, that might be where he lost it. And I'm I'm kind of going off memory here of what I read, but he he was actually offered the lead role in the movie Elmer Gantry. Oh my goodness. Really? Yes. And then he was he was in an elevator and it became stuck between floors. So he was able to like crawl out, but then he ended up slipping and falling oh. into the elevator shaft and fell like 20 or 30 feet to the bottom fractured a lot of things his hip and his ribs and i think his skull and oh you know what i'm frantically searching this as i go hey he lost the little finger on his left hand from this accident you heard it here on mash matters ladies and gentlemen took several months of recovery obviously and he lost the title role in elmer gantry because of that accident Lancaster, didn't he play Elmer Gantry? Yes. My goodness, quite a difference in the two characters. Big difference. Pat Herngold versus uh, Burt Lancaster. Wow. And where would have Burt Lancaster's career ended up if Pat Hingle had played that role in Elmer Gantry? And and where would the trajectory of Pat Hingle's career have gone? But because of that freak elevator accident, they both went their separate ways. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's a heck of a story. You never know what you're going to learn here on Match Matters, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Please. We never know what we're going to learn here. We never know. And... Coming in at number 23, the MASH Olympics in the season six. We've all been following the Olympics pretty closely. We'd all like to be there. Or anywhere else for that matter. But since we can't, we're going to hold our own little Olympics right here. Give them Helsinki, Colonel. We'll divide up into two teams, come up with our own events, and compete against each other. Brilliant, huh? Hmm? Brilliant, Colonel, but not too well received. I just know I'm not going to have anything left for Donald. Oh, did I forget to mention the little incentive. Each member of the winning team gets three days R&R. This is the only appearance of Mike Henry, the second Donald Penobscot. Probably going to be my partner in the nurse, Carrie. Are you? Yes! Colonel, this is the 4077th Olympics. Gorgeous George is just an out-of-town relative. Objection sustained. The purpose of this is to build up our own people. Thank you, Your Honor. It'll be a little something for you in your chambers later. Colonel, that's not fair. No, dear, the Colonel's right. These are your games, and anyway, with my athletic ability, Pierce aside wouldn't stand a chance. Well, you know, oh, wait a second. Wait a, wait, no, wait a minute. What do you mean, wouldn't stand a chance? Well, I didn't mean it exactly like that. I'm sure it would be uh, competitive. You bet your brass. Of course, a guy who was All-American in track and wrestling at West Point doesn't often lose to a bunch of army doctors. Just a second, Jekyll. <laughs> Would you like to put your muscle where your mouth is? As a matter of fact, I'd really like that. Pick up your wife, cadet. <laughs> Coming in at number 22 on the countdown from season one, Dear Dad. How far had Radar O'Reilly gotten in my last letter to you? I think, if I'm not mistaken, he had mailed the back seats by then. This week, he's smuggling out the front seats. It took Trapper and me a while to figure out what he was up to, until we did a fluoroscope of one of his packages and found out he was mailing a Jeep home, piece by piece. This was the first of many dear letter-themed episodes, and in fact, all of the cast members at some point got their own letter either letter episode or letter moment in an episode. The only ones who did not receive of the main cast, Margaret, Frank, and Henry did not have a, uh, a letter episode or a letter moment 
I guess you could say Margaret did. You have the episode about letters later in the series where they are all writing back to some grade school kids who wrote them letters. So she did have that letter moment, but she did not have a moment where she's writing a letter to a, uh, a loved one. And also, actor William Catt makes a guest appearance in this episode as one of the soldiers pinned down in a foxhole as Hawkeye treats his buddy while wearing a Santa suit. William Catt, best known as playing Ralph Hinckley, the title character in the TV series The Greatest American Hero, which is a series that my friend Peter and I used to play on the playground at school. Really? How about that? And I always insisted that I played Ralph Hinckley, and I made my friend Peter play Bill Maxwell, who was played by Robert Culp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a weird kid. Uh, I met William Cat a couple of times. He was a very nice guy, actually. Yeah, good, cool. good guy. Yeah. Well, let's get him on the podcast. We'll get him on here. Uh, and coming in at number 21, Bug Out. Hear me, O oh Lord. 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 I'm just trying to help. The Padre does a single. Season five premiere, actually. It's the first episode of William Christopher credited as a series regular. He was very happy about that. It also features Eileen Saki. She makes her first appearance on MASH as the madam of the brothel that Potter wants to use as an OR. We're here on orders of ICOR. General Irving R. Hamilton commanding. Oh, pinky. And by the way, <laughs> it features me digging the latrine, but I am somehow identified as Salkowitz. <laughs> yes. I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but I was. And we've talked about that in previous episodes as well. So yes, bug out from season five, that coming in at number 21. Before we get to the top 20, we want to say hello and thank you to some Patreon VIPs, including... Private Monica Jane. Private Ewan Spence. Corporal Susan Montgomery. Corporal Chad Purveyance. Captain Robert Leave. Captain Eric Engler. Captain Edward Gibbons Brown. Major Charles Jones. And Major Chris Seaton. Thank you to these VIPs and thanks to all 87, as of this recording, 87 VIPs at mashmatters.com slash support. You too can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month and unlock some cool perks, including you get the episodes before anybody else does. Ooh, wow. All right, here we go. The top 20, starting with an episode that I thought for sure would crack the top 10 because it is a fan favorite. It is a format shattering episode from season seven, Point of View. Forgot, any, forgot anniversary. Uh, so that's what's been getting into Dr. Jekyll's hide. All right, Pierce, admit it. You broke into my footlocker and you read through my personal diary, didn't you? Swine. Charles, in all the times I've broken into your footlocker, I have never looked at your diary. Then who drew all these disgusting pictures in it? It's dry reading. You need illustrations. I've had it with you, Pierce. It's two by fours at dawn. <laughs> hey, 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 take it easy, Rich. Take it easy. Something's irritating his airway. Kelly, give me that section there. Not doing too well, hmm? Still not getting any air around the tube. Fractured larynx? Oh, it didn't show up before. You better take some more pictures, huh? Hmm. Kelly, we'll call for a bit of... How were you around the larynx? Tricky spot. I wouldn't trust it to anyone but me. 
We'll do it together. And I want credit in your diary. According to his daughter, Zan, who we interviewed in episode 88, this was one of director Charlie Dubin's favorite episodes. We also talked about this episode with uh, Ken Levine and David Isaacs, who wrote this episode back in uh, number 62. But yeah, again, an episode that was uh, entirely from the perspective of a wounded patient to this day. I do not understand how they pulled it off. Yeah, very, very creative. And amazing, um, you know, in terms of Charlie Dubin being able to do it. And like you say, how they pulled it all off, that was pretty good. I was not there. I didn't see it all, but boy, I wish I had. Mm -hmm. And coming in at 19, Quo Vadis, Captain Chandler. Yeah, we need your uh, rank, your serial number, your uh, unit. Your name? Yeah, that'd be a good place to start. My name? Mm hmm My name is Jesus Christ. Oh, that's funny. We have a savior by that name. And that's in season four, where we learn Radar's first name is Walter. How about that? Bless you, Radar. I'm Walter. Bless you, Walter. This is also another flag episode. And Sydney, his first appearance in the top 50. Yes, it is. I believe so. But I will tell you, this is not the last time we will see Sydney in this countdown. Tell me, is it true that God answers all prayers? Yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Alan Fudge playing Captain Chandler, who claims he's Jesus Christ. And you talked about, and I can't remember which episode because they all blend, you know, this is episode 90 that we're on now. So I have no idea. It was one of the early episodes we talked about you sitting in on the, uh, basically the screen tests and the, the auditioning process for BJ. Yes. And how Alan Fudge was one of the finalists for that role. He was, he was, he was a very nice guy and uh, he was very good. You know, it would have been very difficult if I was sitting there to try and pick who would have done it, although certainly Mike Farrell was top candidate, mm -hmm. but everybody was really good and Alan was terrific. So you think if Alan Fudge had gotten BJ, perhaps Mike Farrell would have played Captain Chandler in this episode. Who knows? You never know. Could be. Johnny Hamer would have dubbed his voice though. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I just keep throwing salt in that wound, don't I? Yeah, I'm sorry. Take, I Where take are your, my pills? Take your medication. Where are my no. pills? I gotta get my pills. Coming in at number 18 on the top 50 countdown and from season three. It was the premiere of season three. The General Flipped at Dawn. This is my company clerk, Corporal O'Reilly. The Irish were rotten Indian fighters. <laughs> None comes. The backbone of the service. Where are you from, son? Iowa, sir. No talking in race! This is a fan favorite because it's the first ever appearance of Harry Morgan on the series. He played Major General Bartford Hamilton Steele. That's threes, not all in a row. Of course, Harry would then return the next season. So this is season three, and in season four is when he shows up at the 4077th as Colonel Potter. But this is interesting because it's the only time that we see Harry Morgan, McLean Stevenson, and Wayne Rogers together on the same screen. Yeah. I have to admit, that's one of my favorite episodes, too. Harry Morgan was just phenomenal in that thing. I, it just, he was just, it played this cuckoo bird. Oh, know? my gosh. Yes. Oh, gosh. Was he a cuckoo bird? And a man wow. who's not necessarily known for comedy up to that point. He had been, yep. you know, in serious, serious films and, yeah. and he had been on Dragnet for many years. He was yep. not known as a comedian necessarily. No, so here he is no. playing a very wacky character. <laughs> it was fun to watch him just have some crazy fun with this role. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. And coming in at number 17, boy, 
boy, this is getting exciting. We're mm-hmm. at 17 already. Is Goodbye Radar Parts 1 and 2. That happened in Season 8. I'm glad I met you, Radar. Yeah, but it was only for less than an hour. Lancaster's only 100 miles from Matumwa. Yeah. And I could drive my Uncle Ed Studebaker there as long as I stop for water every 10 minutes. Romeo, time to hit the wild blue yonder. Listen, let's look for each other back home, okay? Promise. Originally intended to be the first two episodes of season eight, but they were pushed back to episodes four and five. Also said goodbye to Zale. This was Johnny. Oh, here we are. Johnny Hamer. <laughs> John, Johnny's, Johnny's sitting on my shoulders it's, now. The spirit Johnny of Johnny Hamer, Hamer is, is haunting yeah, you. Yeah, the spirit of Johnny. Um, it was Johnny Hamer's last appearance on the series. Oh, darn. Um, and we've discussed Radar's anger several times on the podcast uh, and we also talked about it with Ken Levine and David Isaacs in, in indicating that uh, Radar had a, an edge and an anger to him mm-hmm. in those episodes, which we kind of don't understand. And just so you know, if this brings you any comfort, I'm pretty sure that this is the last time we mentioned Johnny Hamer on this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Johnny you Hamer. can stop medicating now. All right. Moving on. Number 16. Here's another one that I, I didn't expect to be this far up on the list, but it's a, it's a fan favorite. The army Navy game. Hmm. This is from season one. How about come for the Gipper? Father, Notre Dame is not playing. Oh, well then what's all the excitement about? Me having won the toss has elected to receive. There's an electric excitement in the stands as we prepare to witness this 53rd Gridiron Classic. Uh-oh. Quiet, Radar. Uh, sir, I think you better forget about the game. There's the whistle. Huh? Wow, that's close. That guy can really kick a ball. I did not know this. There's an uncredited appearance in this episode by game show host Tom Kennedy. Tom Kennedy is one of those guys who hosted like every other game show in in the history of game shows. Mm -hmm. But I guess there was an interview in 2003 where he uh, confirmed that his voice was one of the voices heard as one of the announcers calling the play-by-play of the Army-Navy game on the radio. This episode also features one of, if not my favorite, Henry Moment. Tanker's hurt, twisted his ankle. So quick as a flash, thousands of eyes on me, I run across that field and tape that leg good and tight, then run off. 30 seconds to go. The ball snapped to Crazy. Crazy fakes a handoff to Butcher Pelasco and then gives it off to Tanker. And Tanker starts off and hits the ground screaming, his face twisted with pain. Tackled. No, I taped the wrong leg. (laughs) Was he mad? To this day, once a year, Tank Washington comes to my house and shoots out the porch light. (laughs) And he's a judge now. I love that moment. I love that moment. That's great. And coming in at number 15, the trial of Johnny Hamer. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Hold everything. Hold everything. Well, he really is haunting you, isn't he? (laughs) No. Oh, I'm sorry. That's uh, the trial of Henry Blake. Yes. Okay. Excuse me. Um, That was in season two. What the hell is the new evidence? What do you care? You're free. Yeah, you're free. Dear Mrs. Burns, since you're so proud of your husband as an officer, it is sad to report that he is frequently out of uniform. And maybe you should know with who. With whom? 
Oh, oh. Uh, another general, Brigadier General Maynard Mitchell portrayed by actor Robert F. Simon. This was the first of General Mitchell's three appearances on MASH. I'd ask you all in for a drink, but the, the officer's club doesn't open for another hour. I've got the key, General. Fox, put yourself down for a silver star. And thanks to the high resolution of the DVD releases, we see what Trapper wrote on his prescription for Klinger's post-nasal drip. <laughs> Wayne Rogers wrote on the paper, give the guard a f gallon of phenobarbital. Uh, he did this as a prank to get a rise out of Jamie Farr, never knowing that we would someday be able to see what he really wrote. <laughs> The garden having gallon of FEMA Darbarbital. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, clear as day. Yeah. And uh, we're also introduced to the Stylewright Shoe Company of Storm Lake, Iowa. Well, sir, now, as our company slogan says, <clears throat> if your shoes aren't becoming to you, then you should be coming to us. All right, number 14 of the top 50, Crisis. This coming from season two. I tell you what, this episode has everything. Trapper burning Radar's clipboard, the camp using anything for toilet paper, everybody sleeping in the same tent, Margaret uttering the phrase Yankee Doodleist, Frank's battery-powered socks, and Henry's slowly disappearing desk. What's not to love about Crisis? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Now, don't get me wrong, Corporal. I'm very grateful for all the supplies. Yes. I mean, you guys saved our lives. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's just my office. Uh, it's my office? Uh, yeah, well, you see, uh, during the recent crisis, people had this aversion to freezing. <laughs> so they just burned anything that didn't move or something. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to you from deep inside a real big empty. And coming in at number 13, Yankee Doodle Doctor in season one. The guest star was Ed Flanders, who played Lieutenant Bricker, the director of the documentary being shot at the 4077. Flanders is best known for his role as Dr. Westfall on St. Elsewhere. How would you like to have a shot at this, Captain? Who, me? Nah, I'm sorry. I'm under contract in North Korea as a spy. <laughs> Sense of humor? Huh? Moves well? Good skin tone? Yeah, but I promised Fred I'd never dance with anybody but him. That's for the old 4077th, Pierce. <laughs> Could be laughs. Oh, come on. Well, if you don't do it, he's going to give it to Frank. Okay, that does it. You got me, Briggs. Both Larry Gelbart and Alan Alda were heavily influenced by the Marx Brothers, which is clearly evident in this episode. Yes, it is. Yes, they were. And yes, in season one, you could sure see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could. Yeah. Yeah. We also see a, a new general in this episode. Herb Voland is Brigadier General Crandall Clayton. This is one of his seven appearances on MASH. Look, save that first bit. My introduction, all of it. Yes, sir. And that last piece we saw with Captain Pierce talking. Yes, sir. Burn everything in between. Number 12 is uh, an episode that probably would be in my top 10. I thought it might be in the top 10 overall. It's very close. At number 12 from season nine, Death Takes a Holiday. This was directed and co-written by Mike Farrell. We, we spoke to Mike about this episode in our interview with him back in uh, episodes 20 and 21. We also have a guest appearance from Key Luke. He appears in this episode as the headmaster of the orphanage that accepts the uh, gift of uh, chocolate from Winchester. Key Luke, another prolific actor who made three appearances on MASH, and he also made an appearance on Trapper John, M.D., since we've already talked about that series. He stopped breathing. 
Come on, damn you, fight! Beach, how much fight can he have left in him? Excuse me, Beach. No. I beg your pardon? You can't have him yet. I have to administer the... He's still mine, and you're not going to pull a shroud over him. Beach, easy. BJ. I'm not pulling the shroud over him, BJ. I'm going to administer the last rites. Sorry, Father. It's been a long night. Let the man do his job. I said no, not now. Listen to me, BJ. I try to stay out of the way because what you people do here is so important. But understand, at a time like this, what I have to do is just as important. And no one, not you nor anyone else, is going to stand between me and the performance of my sacred office. The plot of trying to save the soldier's life on Christmas was heartbreaking, and the scene between Klinger and Charles is heartwarming. Ah, Major Winchester, the party of one. Dinner is served. What is this? Well, let me see. For your appetizer, the last of the macadamias, followed by a mixed grill of Lebanese salami, sugar-cured ham, pig's feet, and hog jowls. We have seconds on those. <laughs> Sorry, sir. No smoked oysters. I just smoked the last one. But I didn't... Ah, and for dessert, Frisco fudge and nutty fruitcake. All laced with hemlock, I'm sure. Sorry, sir. No hemlock. But I can get you some ketchup. And what, pray tell, is the catch of the day? Oh, just one catch, Major. Uh-huh. The source of this Christmas dinner must remain anonymous. It's an old family tradition. Thank you, Max. Merry Christmas, Charles. And coming in at number 11, Movie Tonight, Season 5. Now, what makes this episode so amazing? Is it Radar's impressions? Now cut that out! Margaret's song? La, la, la. The Father Mulcahy Sound-Alike Contest. Jocularity, jocularity. Perhaps the sing-along. I wanna go Or Colonel Potter's favorite movie. My Darling Clementine. Oh. All of the above. This episode is pure joy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, a movie. <laughs> and here we are, Jeff. We've made it to the top ten. And coming in at number 10 is an episode that, spoiler alert, might be my number one. A War for All Seasons. Hear ye, hear ye. Here's to the new year. May she be a damn sight better than the old one. And may we all be home before she's over. This is from season nine, written by Dan Wilcox and Thad Mumford. Uh, we actually talked to Dan Wilcox a couple of times on this uh, podcast, but I believe it was during our first interview with him. We talked about this fan favorite format busting episode. The pitch. Swung on. It's oh, It's going to be unbelievable. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the If you can totally disregard the wonky timeline... <laughs> <laughs> for this episode because it's supposed to take place throughout the year 1951 but it's established earlier in the series that potter and subsequently bj arrived at the 4077 in 1952 so if that was the case henry frank and trapper would have been there for this episode but you know disregard that it's a great episode and this is the episode where igor creams father mulcahy's corn <laughs> where's the corn you're looking at it the mushy stuff you, you creamed it. You, you ninny. 
I'm just trying to be helpful. Next 4th of July, you can eat it on the cob for all I care. I, I mentioned earlier that you have gifted me a couple of things throughout the years of doing this podcast, and uh, probably my most prized mash possession is your original script for this episode of War for All Seasons, because it is my favorite episode of mash did i include the corn in there some you of did not I, no um, no oh. I, there was a stain on the front of it though so that's probably where the corn was so <laughs> it was there didn't make it in the mailing no way are you going to want that back too do i need to include that in the package with uh, no keep the one with a corn stain on it i don't care about that okay all right thank you i appreciate that we're getting close now coming in at number nine sometimes you hear the bullet mm-hmm. this is in season one written by carl kleinschmidt Uh, One of the two episodes he wrote, the other one being L.I.P. You never hear the bullet. Is that that a book? Yeah, it's about the war. And it's being written by a soldier, not a correspondent. Yeah, how can I explain it to you? Okay, there's always that big blonde kid, always in all those war movies, right? One that should never die and always does. Yeah, and they bring him back to life in the next movie. (laughs) It's a great way to run a war. Right. But you always hear this big, loud ricochet just before he gets killed, right? Yeah. Well... That's not the way it really happens. There was a young blonde kid in our outfit. One day I looked over and half of them was gone. You know what he said? He said, uh, I never heard no bullet. That's why that book is called what it's called. Let's get drunk. I'll drink to that. I never drink. The guest stars are James Callahan as Tommy Gillis. Uh, Went on to be a series regular on Charles in Charge. Uh, Mr. Callahan did. And Ron Howard, who was 18 years old at the time. This episode aired in 1973 and Happy Days premiered in 1974. So he he got another good job. Send me appendix. If it hadn't been for that, I'd still be up there with my outfit. You might even get me that medal and show that dumb Bernice. Bernice? That's your sergeant? It's my girl. She was, anyway. It was going steady, and then she dumps me. Because Augie Hofstetter comes back from boot camp. Well, it ain't my fault I'm too young to join up. You 16? Almost. And in the, uh, yeah, and in the complete book of MASH, Susie Coulter quotes Larry Linville as saying this was his favorite episode. Because in his words... It was the most beautiful balance we ever hit. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, The first death of a patient. Yeah. And a great Henry movement. Look, all I know is what they taught me at command school. There are certain rules about a war. And rule number one is young men die. And rule number two is doctors can't change rule number one. Number eight on the countdown. Welcome to Korea, parts one and two. He's going, Hawkeye. He got his orders. He's been shipped stateside. What? Trapper's gone. He got his orders. Trapper went home? Yeah, well, he's on his way. What the hell are you talking about? How? When? Well, he found out about three days ago. Why didn't you call me? I said we tried. I can't believe it. Neither could he. He got drunk for two days and then he ran naked through the mess tent with no clothes on. This was the season four premiere and it was MASH's first hour-long episode written by Everett Greenbaum, Jim Fritzell, and Larry Gelbart. Of course, we see the debut of Mike Farrell as BJ and uh, I guess officially the first viewing of uh, Harry Morgan as Colonel Potter at the end of the episode. 
Also uh, marks the first appearance of Jamie Farr's name in the opening credits as a series regular. And this episode won Emmy Awards for both directing and editing. Boys. Sir, Colonel. You all know this is an officer's club, don't you? I'm a captain, plainclothes division. (laughs) Corporal Stripes and Captain's Bars. Uh, That's a new directive from the Pentagon, Colonel. Uh, That's right out of G2 and G3, making a G5 combined officer's optech glitch. Uh, Experimenting with a new uh, rank, Corporal Captain. We're down here making a survey. Want to see, uh, you know, if everybody likes it. Uh, Asking everybody in Seoul. Coleman Hawkins, right? Right. Well, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Uh, Put down one no, one against. Right. (laughs) One negative, Corporal Captain. Thank you, Colonel. We really appreciate your help in this. Oh, sir, I don't like it at all. <laughs> That's not like it at all. <laughs> Number seven, Deal Me Out, in season two, written by Lawrence Marks and Larry Gelbart. Sidney, what's a psychiatric basis for gambling? Sex. Why? I don't know. They told me to say it. Sex is why we gamble, sex is why we drink, sex is why we give birth. Thank you, Doctor. I'm taking a $5 chip. That was a house call. Guest stars galore. Alan Arbus as Sidney, Edward Winter as Captain Halloran. Halloran? Halloran. Captain Halloran, uh, which may or may not have been an alias used by Colonel Flagg. There's a lot of discussion among MASH fans because he was not Colonel Flagg in this episode, but he was very much Colonel Flagg-like. So there's speculation that maybe he was Colonel Flagg using Captain Halloran as an alias. Of course he was. He must have been. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and Pat Morita is Captain Pack. His name is Huang. Yes, that's what he said, sir. Oh, you know who you got here, Henry, the famous whiplash Huang. And John Ritter is Private Carter. Carter, what's the problem? He's the problem. He keeps waving the flag in my face. 10,000 doctors and we had to get Betsy Ross. <laughs> there you go, John Ritter. Nice guy. Yeah. Very, very nice guy. He was represented by my attorney. (laughs) In the lawsuit against you. Yes, (laughs) I think so. We had the same attorney, which made the lawsuit very confusing. It was very awkward. Very. All right, coming in at number six. Now, I knew that this was going to be in the top ten. I thought it might be even in the top three. But here it is, number six, Abyssinia Henry. Colonel. Yo. Do you know what I found in this morning's mail? Uh, now that's a tough one. Now, hum a few bars, will you, Radar? <laughs> You're going home. I'm going home? You got all your points. They're discharging you. Discharged? Tokyo, San Francisco, then home. I'm going home. I'm discharged. From season three, the season three finale, written by uh, Fritzell and Greenbaum, the final episodes for both McLean Stevenson and Wayne Rogers. So here we go. Spoiler alert. If you're still early in the series for the first time, stop listening because uh, this was a very unconventional decision by uh, Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart to kill off a major character, to kill off Henry Blake. Uh, And, you know, it's to show the horrors and the unnecessary devastation of the war. I believe Gene Reynolds said uh, not everyone got to go home to Bloomington, Illinois. Now, Lorraine, don't tell anybody. We'll just walk into the country club Saturday night, start dancing and let them all cheer. Lorraine? Lorraine? We get cut off. (sighs) Sweet Lorraine. McLean Stevenson was deeply hurt by the decision to kill off Henry because he was still on the set watching the filming of this secret final scene with Radar's announcement. Lieutenant Colonel, Henry Blake's plane. 
was shot down over the Sea of Japan. It spun in. There were no survivors. This episode caused an avalanche of mail from upset viewers. And to their credit, Larry Gelbart, Gene Reynolds answered every single letter personally. Yeah. Jeff, you, of course, were a part of this episode and you were in that scene, that groundbreaking, legendary scene with uh, Radar coming in and uh, announcing the tragic, tragic news. It was a very stunning moment, really. And uh, certainly in real life, which was even more dramatic and stunning, was that uh, McLean, when he realized what was happening, really walked off the set, never came back and was in his dressing room for quite a long time crying. So it was a very, very, when it says deeply hurt, he was deeply hurt by it. And it was a very emotional moment for him and, and uh, all the people who watched the show. <laughs> Certainly everybody was crying, including McLean Stevenson. It was a rough, rough afternoon, really was. And it's so interesting because that day there was a party set. So I, got, I think it was a Christmas party. I think we're it all should have, go. It probably was a rap party because that was the end of the season. The end of the season, yeah. It was a yeah. people, you know, there was already tables set up and food hanging mm-hmm. out and everything. But once that scene was shot, boom, he was gone. And that was the end of that. It was, it was tough. It was a tough, tough yeah. afternoon. It really was. And you didn't know at the time that Wayne Rogers would also be departing the series at that time. But that, that happened over the uh, so the summer really every yeah. day, uh, an on-screen send-off as well. No, no. And coming in at number five, Dear Sigmund. From season five, written and directed by Alan Alda. Certainly another appearance by Sidney. The entire episode revolves around a letter he's writing to Sigmund Freud, who, by the way, died in 1939. Dear Sigmund, I've been feeling somewhat frustrated lately, and so I came to a kind of spa. The waters are pretty good here. And the inmates have an interesting defense against carnage. Insanity in the service of health. Let me see your openers, Margaret. Here. I'm not talking about your cards. Sal Vascuso, who along with Todd Sussman provided the voice on the PA, uh, he appears in this episode as a patient. And uh, Alan Aldo? won an Emmy for directing this episode. I believe when we did the uh, season five recap, I think I said that I believe this to be the perfect introductory episode to MASH. If you know someone who has never watched MASH, this is really a great episode to show them because it's Sydney's perspective of each character at the 4077. You? You're the practical joker? Certainly looks that way, doesn't it? Would you like to help? Sure. What do I do? As loud as you can, shout, air raid. <laughs> air raid! Air raid! Air raid! Air raid! Air raid! Air raid! Now, here we are, the top four. And there are still some out there that people are going, hmm, this one's got to be in the top four, right? This one's got to be. Probably you're thinking, uh, where's Tuttle? Tuttle, number four on the countdown. This one coming from season one, written by Bruce Shelley and David Ketchum. In this episode, we are introduced to Sparky, also known as Sergeant Pryor at i played by actor Dennis Fimple in his only appearance. Shazam! <laughs> we also see Sister Teresa from the orphanage for the first time, played here by Mary Robin Redd. 
All right, Sister Teresa, all set. Oh, how can I ever thank you, Hawkeye? And you, Trapper. Oh, don't thank us. We're just acting on orders. But who's... who's the author of all this generosity? Uh, Tuttle. Captain Tuttle. That's a right, uh, Trap? Captain Tuttle? Yeah, one of our finest officers. <laughs> and a beautiful man. Just picture George Washington with John Wayne's agent. And, most important guest star of all, Captain Tuttle as himself. <laughs> we can all be comforted by the thought that he's not really gone. That there's a little Tuttle left in all of us. In fact, you might say that all of us together made up Tuttle. I'll never forget him. All right, so here we are, the final three. Top three, number three, Five O'Clock Charlie in season two. And now, direct from North Korea, here he is for the sixth hit week. Five O'Clock Charlie, his airplane, and his astigmatism. This was written by Larry Gelbart, Lawrence Marks, and Keith Walker. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the debut of Jeff Maxwell. Hey! He will be here later. <laughs> we, we need to get him on the podcast. <laughs> got to get him on here. He's such a nice guy. Excuse me. While I've got you on the pipe, uh, the suggestion's been made that we could use an 04 WW Nug. Yeah, that's right, sir. A uh, Nug so that we can... Uh, uh, what's a Nug, sir? Well, a Nug is a... Uh, um, a gun, sir. A 40mm gun. Henry, you gotta be kidding. We definitely do not need a nug. You keep your snoots out of this. We don't need a gun or a nug. What are you trying to do, get us into the war? And the character of Five O'Clock Charlie is based on a real pilot from World War II um, who would return in season three's There's Nothing Like a Nurse. Yep, yep. All right, so two episodes remain. Number two... Adam's Ribs, from season three, written by Lawrence Marks. And for the entree today? Here it comes. Steady. We have liver or fish? I didn't hear you say that. Because it isn't possible. It's inhuman to serve the same food day after day. The Geneva Convention prohibits the killing of our taste buds. I simply cannot eat the same food every day. Fish, liver, day after day. I've eaten a river of liver and an ocean of fish. I've eaten so much fish, I'm ready to grow gills. I've eaten so much liver, I can only make love if I'm smothered in bacon and onions. Are we going to stand for this? Are we going to let them do this to us? No, I say, no! We're not going to eat this drink anymore! We want something else! We want something else! We want something else! Margaret and Frank also, they do not appear in this episode. No explanation why. They're just not there. Who knows what they were off doing? <laughs> yeah. Hey, leave it to your imagination. 
We discussed this episode at length in episode nine of MASH Matters. Jeff, I know we've talked about it before. This, of course, a big moment for you two. That big moment in the mess tent with Alan having his little breakdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you and Roy banging your pots along with them is obviously a fan favorite because here it is coming in at number two on the top 50 of all time. Mark the package, Dr. B.F. Pierce. 4077 MASH, Korea. Rush Medical Supplies. What? It's ribs and sauce. Yeah, we use them for... Uh, Anatomy practice. Anatomy practice, right. Well, they don't allow us to work on real people. The sauce? Well, uh, they don't let us use real blood either. You understand. Boy, she's smart. I'd like to point out that number three was the debut of Jeff Maxwell, and number two is Adam's Ribs, where it also features Jeff Maxwell. So is there a pattern here? Are we seeing a pattern? (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just looking at stuff. I will say, by my count, Mm -hmm. you appeared in 19 of the top 50. There you go. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well- are we ready for number one? Are you all ready? Are, Here we is go. everybody sitting down? I think that everybody's probably figured it out by now, but please go ahead. Coming in at number one. Season 11, the series finale. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, five minutes ago at 10.01 this morning, the truce was signed in Panmunjom. The hostilities will end 12 hours from now at 10 o'clock. The war is over! Written by Alan Alda, Burt Metcalf, John Rappaport, Dan Wilcox, Thad Mumford, Elias Davis, and David Pollock, and Karen Hall. And the caterer, and the best boy. (laughs) And the worst boy, and a couple of nice women, and a few animals. No, everybody participated, and it was a very big deal. And the total audience of 121.6 million viewers, it still holds the record for the most watched single episode of a scripted series, surpassed only by Super Bowl 44 in 2010. Look, I know how tough it is for you to say goodbye, so I'll say it. Maybe you're right, maybe we will see each other again, but just in case we don't, I want you to know how much you meant to me. I'll never be able to shake you. Whenever I see a big pair of feet or a cheesy mustache, I'll think of you. Whenever I smell month-old socks, I'll think of you. And the next time somebody nails my shoe to the floor. Somebody gives me a martini that tastes like lighter fluid. I miss you. I'll miss you. A lot. I can't imagine what this place would have been like if I hadn't found you here. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Coming in at number one. Pretty amazing unsurprisingly coming in at number one. I don't know. You know, it's funny. I I could have seen another episode coming in at number one. I could have seen Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen getting in the top 10, certainly. But on some level, there was a good deal of uh, sort of sadness and depression around it. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe something else. But I, I was wrong. 
<laughs> comes in at number one. It's an emotional choice mm -hmm. you know, because it was such an emotional episode in many ways. Not only was uh, there a lot of different emotions happening in the episode, but it was America saying goodbye to uh, their family. It's just so ingrained in uh, pop culture and that, that shot of uh, Hawkeye lifting off in the helicopter and seeing the rock spelling goodbye is an iconic moment. And so for that reason, I'm not surprised that it came in at number one. There are other surprises in this top 50 for me, yeah. but I'm not shocked that this came in at number one. So you might be thinking, what are some episodes that didn't make the top 50? Some notable omissions include Comrades in Arms, Your Hit Parade, Twas the Day After Christmas, Morale Victory, No Sweat, Soldier of the Month, I mean, come on, Jeff. Hey, wait a minute. What's what's going on there? I know. Hold everything. I thought there would be refreshments. <laughs> this thing is fixed. I'm telling you right now. Uh, the Prize of Tomato Juice, Smiling Jack, The More I See You, the episode with uh, Blythe Danner, Blood Brothers starring uh, Patrick Swayze, and the episode that I was absolutely shocked did not make the top 50, The Party. The party did not make the top 50, and I know that that is a fan favorite episode. We hear from a lot of people who talk about that particular episode, but the party did not make it into the top 50. How about that? There you are. We'd love to hear your feedback. What do you think? Let us know. Mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. You can listen to us on any podcast player. You can also listen to us on YouTube, and you can listen to episodes at mashmatters.com. This has been an amazing event, um, listening to the results of this incredible contest to achieve number one. I am, I am stunned and amazed and, uh, and, and grateful to all of the people who supported me during this uh, trying time. And uh, <laughs> please, I, my family thanks you. Uh, and we all appreciate whatever you've done here today. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just glad that we made it without another reference to Johnny Hamer. Ah, ah, oh, sorry. Ah, sorry. Ah, oh, oh, too ah, soon? Oh. Oh, good. Just a bit. All right. That does it for this, the uh, 50th anniversary celebration of MASH. We will be back with another episode. And we have some special guests coming up soon, too. So as I said earlier. Stay tuned. Hey, this has been really interesting hearing the the favorites uh, of everybody out there, and a thousand people coming in with these uh, these opinions is really interesting. And uh, hey, you know, uh, people have different perspectives, and some people like one thing, and some people like another. So mm -hmm. uh, this is, I think, it's a really good variety though of the shows, and yes. shows that there are a lot of wise people watching the show for very different reasons. So that's kind yeah. of interesting. And next year on the 51st anniversary, we will uh, do our countdown of the top 50 least favorite episodes of MASH. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. All right, until next time, here's looking up your old address. Mm -hmm.